chapter 8. We're going to start in verse number 1 in just a few moments. Uh, so if you have your Bible and you're turning there, uh, while you're doing that, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the author. It's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, he wrote a book a number of years ago called Outliers. And in the book, he talked about something called the 10,000-hour the rule or the 10,000-hour principle. Have any of y'all ever heard of that before? Um, okay, good. So basically what he says is if you, if you do something, you practice something for 10,000 hours and more, so you, become, you, become rather, you can become rather significant at something. You can do something very well. And he gave a couple of, ex- a couple of examples of this. Uh, in the book, he talked about the Beatles, about when they first got started as a band. He said they went to Germany and they played in all these little no-name bars all over the country. He said really when they started out, they weren't that great. Uh, but they played so often and so much together that eventually, you know, after like 10,000 hours, they became very proficient in what they were doing. And so by the time they, they kind of came onto the world scene, of course, they became one of the greatest bands that's ever known in, in music history. Uh, another example he gave was of a guy that you're pretty familiar with, uh, Bill Gates. So by the time Bill Gates got into college, he had spent over 10,000 hours working on computers, and so he was very proficient in computers by the time he got to college. Matter of fact, you might know that did y'all, he, he actually dropped out of college. Did y'all know that? It did not really seem to affect his career. I mean, I just think, man, just think what he could have done if he had a bachelor's degree. Uh, but, you know, he had 10,000 hours, and so Malcolm Gladwell, this is sort of the, you know, sort of the assumption or the, I guess, what, what he came away with from learning that. He said success really is, it's not determined by your, really your talent. Uh, success is not determined by blind luck. Success is really, it's determined by how much effort you put into something. And so that ought, to, that ought to sort of give us a little bit of hope, right? You know, if I just simply put in the time, I put in a lot of dedication, uh, hours and work, then I can actually be significant in something, something that I care about and that I love. Uh, but... If I look at that, I think, well, if that's true, then why don't we see more success in just, you know, sort of like everyday life than we do right now? And and I think that the answer is rather simple. I think it's because most people, when it comes down to it, are not willing to put in the time. Now, we're willing to put in the talk, but not really so much time. And that can also, that same idea can kind of, it can bleed over into the Christian faith as well and to our walk with God. You know, we can we do a really good job, and I'm, I'm speaking of myself here as well. We, we, we can talk a really good game about, you know, what we need to do. We need to be more loving, and we need to be more caring, and we need to serve people more, and we need to be more generous. And I agree with all those things, but if those things are actually going to happen, you, you know what we have to do? We've got to do it. You know, we've got to put those things into practice. And so this idea is coming from, as we conclude our series today, Unshakable, the call to be generous. Today we're going to talk about, uh, finally, the end part of it, about our call to be generous. And, and we like to talk about generosity, but today in our scripture we're going to see if we're going to be good at it, then, then we need to practice it. And so today in our passage of scripture we're going to see the Apostle Paul 
he's talking about a group of Christians that were in a church in Macedonia, and he talks about how they didn't just talk about being generous, but how they actually demonstrated it. And I think as we look at how they demonstrated their generosity, that we can take those same things from them and apply it into our lives so that we too can be generous. So that's why we're looking today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I just want to give you a little background information. Uh, What was going on here is that during this time, the church in Jerusalem, which was really, it's the mother church, they're like the very first church, but they were, they were really struggling. And they're struggling because they were enduring, they're enduring, you know, famine. A famine had come through, so the people are really hurting for food. Uh, they were experiencing war. They were experience, experiencing persecution because of their faith. And so Paul saw them as a, as a church that really needed help. So he told the other churches about it. So this is a church that needs help. They need us to be generous towards them. So he wanted to take up a special offering for them. And there's one church in particular that just stepped up to the plate. It was the churches that were located in Macedonia. And they didn't just say, yeah, we agree with you. They said, man, let us be a part of being generous. And so Paul, this is a letter to the Corinthians, he told the Corinthian church about it. Now, why did he talk to them about this church in Macedonia? Well, it's pretty simple. It's because the, the Corinthian church, they were really good about talking, but they weren't so good in doing. So Paul said, hey, it's time to quit just talking about what we ought to do. Now it's time to actually start doing it. And so he shared with them a few, a few things that are involved in practicing generosity. And I think this applies to us. It can be helpful for us. And the very first practice that's involved in being generous is this. It is grace. If we are going to be a generous people, if we as a church are going to be a generous church, then it involves grace. Now, look with me in verse number one. That's what Paul wrote. He said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia during a severe testing by affliction Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Now, when we talk about generosity, I want to say this. I I really believe this. I do not believe generosity is something that is natural for people. Uh, What is natural for people is to keep stuff for ourselves. You know, and this is, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is my natural disposition. I mean, if I have something and somebody's like, hey, I'd like to have that, would you share that with me? I'm going to be honest with you. Just deep, deep inside of me, I'm like, no. I'm not going to share with you. If you want it, go get it yourself because this is mine. Okay, now that's not really a great testimony for a pastor. And you're probably thinking, I know other pastors that are generous. They're not. Uh, Every pastor thinks the same way that I do. So that's that's just sort of a natural thing for us. It's not natural for us to be giving. Now, I look at the people in our, in our verse that we just read, and Paul commended the Macedonian church about generosity. And, and I sit there and think, well, how, how were they able to be generous? Well, if you look at the end of verse number 2, he talks about the wealth of their generosity. And, and you can look at that and think, well, it's not hard to be generous if you got a lot of stuff, Right? I've heard this so many times throughout my life. I would, I would love to be more generous if I could afford it. 
You know, if I, if I win the, I've heard this a lot, if I win the lottery, and I don't know why people tell the pastor this, you know, I'm gambling a lot. And so if I gamble and I happen to win, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a tithe to the church. But hey, I just can't do it right now because I don't have much. All right, y'all, I want to share this with you, and this might blow your mind. But did you know that generosity has nothing to do with ability? Do you know that? Generosity has nothing to do with ability. I mean, look at the Macedonian church. Look at what Paul said about them. If you go back to the verse at the beginning of verse number two, he said they were enduring testing, severe testing by affliction. This is a people that they're afflicted. I mean, things aren't going well for them. And we don't know really what it was in particular. We just know that Paul experienced it himself when he went into Macedonia. In the preceding chapter in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul said this. He said, when we came into Macedonia, he and his group, they show up. He said, we had no rest. He said, instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. It was a rough place. So Paul was struggling there. But, and what we know is that because of all this stuff, the people in Macedonia, it says that they were in deep poverty. Now that phrase, deep poverty, it's, it's interesting. Here's what it means. It means down to the depth poverty. It means rock bottom poverty. Okay, does that sound like they had a whole lot to you? I mean, they are, you want to talk about poverty? If anybody has any right to say, hey, we'd love to be generous, but we just don't have enough to be generous, it'd be this church. They are rock bottom poor. And yet, what does Paul say about them? Paul says that they were generous. Now, how can you, how can you be rock bottom poor and be generous? We go back to verse 1. It says, God granted them grace. You know, that, if you're going to be generous, you know, it takes the grace of God to be generous. Matter of fact, in the, God's grace enabled them to be giving. Now, you, I, I look at that and I think, do you see much grace there? They're undergoing persecution. They're under affliction. They are rock bottom poor. Where do I see God's grace there? Well, you see God's grace there because it said they have an abundance of joy. They were a people who were filled with love. They were a people who were filled with kindness and they wanted to be a blessing of others. And that kind of attitude, that's not normal. Y'all, that kind of an attitude is something that only comes about because of God touching a person's life. And when God touches your life, you you become different. Now, think about what happens when God touches your life. Think about what happens in a person's life. Forgiveness. Freedom, freedom from the guilt of my past, knowing that God has forgiven me. What else does God provide when he touches my life? He gives me hope. He lets me know that, that I can become more than what I am now. He gives me a future, letting me know that this life, right, or this life that you're living right now, this is not the end. He promises that those who follow him will have life forever in heaven. And when you are touched in that way and you accept that and you believe that, it's going to change the way that you treat others. You're going to have a desire for other people to experience the grace that you've been given. You see, there is no such thing as a stingy Christian. 
Now here's what I noticed. Paul says there's a church that's hurting. There is a group of people who need generosity. And this church, the Macedonian church, so we want to help. We want to be generous. Now what I noticed, but Paul did not force them to be generous. Paul did not, he did not guilt trip them into generosity. Now I, 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 that, that kind of, I, I like to try to guilt trip sometimes to get stuff done. Paul didn't have to do that. Let me tell you something, whenever, whenever you have been touched by God's grace, you want to be gracious to others. And give an example, when I, I remember when I was a kid growing up, there was a commercial on TV, uh, for Mercedes, the Mercedes car company, and they were the one who designed a, a car frame that whenever it was in a collision, that instead of just collapsing around a person and crushing them, they developed this car frame that, that basically just protected the inside of the car. And so you might remember those commercials. You'd see that car run into like a concrete barrier, and it would show how the people inside, just they didn't get crushed. So it's a safety feature. Well, a lot of other cars after that commercial, a lot of other companies began to use this same design. And so somebody was talking to one of the executives of Mercedes and said, why didn't you all patent that so that other, our other car companies couldn't use it? They'd have to pay for it. And the executive said, well, it's because there are some things that are just too good not to share. Y'all, that's God. And that's God's grace. There are some things that are just too good for us not to share, for us not to be generous with. So if we're going to be generous, one of the things that, that's involved in being generous is grace. But here's a, another practice involved in, in being generous, and that is desire, having a desire to be generous. Verse number three, Paul wrote, I testify that on their own, speaking of the Macedonian church, he said, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. I really like this. It's really interesting. You look at that verse, here's the Macedonian church. Remember, they, man, they're, they are afflicted, they are rock bottom poor, and they see a church in need, and they beg Paul to let them help. Is that neat? Now that is a, that is just a, that is a cool thing. They're like, hey, we don't have anything, but we want to help those people. Now, y'all, motives matter. Why we do things matters. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs sixteen two, it says, "All a man's ways seem right to him." but the Lord evaluates the motives. What do y'all think about that? I don't know about y'all, that kind of, that scares me. Because now for me, I'm a bottom line person. You know, hey, listen, I don't care how you got there. It's just, what's the bottom line? Bottom, does it work on the bottom line? I think a lot of us are like that. You know, just this bottom line. But, but then you find, God's not just bottom line. And I'm like, oh, you know, I thought it was just good enough that I did it. And now you want my motives to be right? Now you'd sit there and think, well, what's, I mean, what's up with that? Why does God care about my motives? You know, and there's sometimes when, when I'll sit there and I'll say, you know what? I know I'm supposed to give to this, so I'm going to give, and I really don't want to, but I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to. And the people around me, they'll say, look, I did it. They watched me do it. They saw me do it, so they know I'm good. I don't like it, but I'm doing it anyway. You know, it reminds me of a story of a father. His little girl was in his car, and she was standing up blocking his view. He turned around and looked at her and said, you need to sit down. And she got irritated at her dad, and she kept standing up, and finally he kind of threatened her, and she finally sat down, but she was, she was irritated at her dad. And she looked at him and said, Dad, 
I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Now, that's a girl. She's doing the right thing, but her motives weren't right. Okay, now the same thing can be true in our walk with God. See, God does not honor our actions if our motives are wrong. I think it's really interesting to think about it this way. You know, God is not really, he's not just interested in what we do. He is interested in why we do things. Now, now do you think God wants us to give and to be generous because he needs money? Yeah, do you think God needs anything? Do you think he needs our money? Like God's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to run out of money. Y'all give. Yeah, God's not broke. You know, Psalm 24. Psalm 24 one says, The earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. He already owns everything. But he is interested in the why. The why we are generous. The why of why we give. In Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, it says, you don't want to sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not pleased with the burnt offering. It says the sacrifice, pleasing to God, it's it's a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Now, if we are giving and we, we are being generous because we feel like that's just what we're supposed to do, because it makes us look good, let me tell you, that's not generosity. That's self-serving. I mean, if we, are, if we are generous and we are giving because, you know, like I did something wrong over here, but maybe if I give over here, it'll kind of offset that wrong over here. I mean, that, y'all, that's not generosity. Once again, that is something else that I'd have to say. That is, that is something that is self-serving. So, so what, was the, what were the motives of the Macedonian church? Well, Paul said it was, that they, it was their privilege to be a blessing. They were begging to be a blessing to the Macedonian church. Matter of fact, Paul said they didn't just give according to their ability, they gave beyond their ability. How do you give beyond their ability? How is that possible? You know, it made me think of the, uh, the widow and the story. We might remember that story when Jesus is sitting outside of a temple. People are pouring in money, and there's this widow lady that comes up, and she drops in basically like two pennies. And Jesus said, that, that right there, that's generosity. Now, she was a lady who gave according to her ability, but she gave more than her ability because she gave all that she had. Because when she gave, she was trusting that God is going to take care of her. See, she, she, had the desi- she had a desire to please God, desire to be like God. Now, here's the question. What, what are your desires? There was a, a man who told a story about, he lived in San Francisco, and he said, every summer when I was a kid, he said, we would travel to West Texas to go visit family. And he said, so we would, we would drive there, and he said, I had two younger brothers, and we we're just kids. And he said, we, you know, we loved the trip. He said, on the way out there, we'd stop like at Howard Johnson's. And he said, we'd get in the pool, and we thought we were just living it up, and it was so much fun. He said, but we had a rule in the family, and that was whenever it came time, when we were eating at a restaurant, he said, we had to order off of the kitty menu. And he said, so we'd order, and he goes, and, it, and I, because I, the, the thing I really took away from the trip was my younger brother, he's five years old, he said, and we'd sit there, we'd get those little kitty meals, and he said, my little brother would sit there and look at Dad's plate. He said, Dad's food looks so much better than ours. He said, one of the last nights that we were in a hotel, he said, that the waitress said, now what would you like? He said, my little five-year-old brother said, I want what Dad's having. He said, now Dad didn't really like that. He said, but I learned something from it. 
He said, my brother was tired of living off the kitty menu. And he desired to have what the father had, which was so much more and so much better. Y'all, as, as Christians, and I'm speaking for those of us who are followers of Jesus, so many times we are content living off of the kitty menu when God's saying, I want you to desire what I have. You know, we're told in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want to be generous, desire the things of God. Now, a part of the process of being generous is you have to practice uh, to, to practice generosity is you have to give and give in grace, have the desires of God. And here's the final thing, the final practice involved in generosity is, is trust. That's where you trust God. Verse number, let's see, verse number five. It says, instead, they gave themselves, the Macedonian church, especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Remember, they didn't have anything. And so what they were doing is they were committing themselves to the things of God. They're trusting God with everything that they have. Say, God, you've called us to be generous because you've been generous with me, so I'm going to be generous with others, and I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me. You know, one of my favorite things about generosity, one of my favorite things about giving is it is a tangible way that I demonstrate that I trust God. You know, I can talk about it all day long. I trust God. You can go, man, that's great. I'm glad you trust God. But it doesn't, that doesn't cost me anything to say that. But when I give, then I am, I, am actually, I am doing something that demonstrates that I really trust God. I'm putting myself in his hands. Now, the Macedonians, they trusted God in a big way. They didn't have anything, but they were willing to give what they have. So they said, we're, we're going to give. We're going to give. And whenever they gave, what they were saying is saying, we trust God so much that we know that when we give, that God is going to provide for us and take care of us. Did you know that God will never call you to do something that he will not empower you to do? Did you know that? Now, we can say that. You learn that when you actually do. Let me read you a scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Now, y'all, I know this. I know that whenever we talk about generosity and we talk about giving in the church, for a lot of people, that can be a very touchy subject. And for a very simple reason. A lot of times we look at it, and I stand up here, and I'm telling people who are followers of Jesus what to do with what is theirs. And you say, it's none of your business. This stuff is mine. Okay, Followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just ignore me right now. Followers of Jesus, let me tell you something. It ain't yours. It's God's. We are stewards of everything that we have. And our calling is to be a good steward. Now, I'll be honest with you, to have that view, that takes a lot of trust. Because then you're saying, well, if that's true, then I'm going, to, I'm going to be generous, but what happens? Well, if you're generous and you trust, listen to what we're told. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Macedonian church believed that. So we're going to be generous, and we're going to trust, and when we're generous, God's going to take care of us. Y'all, that is what you call 
trust. Now, if you're not willing to do that, I want to share something with you. You're going to miss out on seeing God move. You're going to miss out on seeing God actually come through and provide for you. Uh, Let me give you an example. I read this. I thought this was interesting. It, It has been estimated that some $44 billion has been collecting in unredeemed gift card value since 2008. Isn't that crazy? So this is America. Since 2008, the last 11 years, you know, we like to give gifts. We give gift cards to people. $44 billion has not been used yet. I know right now after church, you're going to go back home and start rummaging through all your drawers. All right, now, here, here, y'all, here's the deal. Let's, let's do the same thing's true with God. God has given us the greatest of gift cards that could be given. He's given, given us Jesus. Now, now think about what he, what he gives. And we mentioned this earlier. Forgiveness. Freedom. Knowing that I am a child of God. That he reserves a place for me in heaven. That he has a purpose and a plan for my life, for your life. And yet what so many of us do is we we have heard that and that God offers us that gift card and we take it and we stick it in a drawer and we never redeem it. And $44 billion and more is collecting every day. And I look at that and think, man, how foolish are we? So what's the challenge? Redeem the card, y'all. Live in the freedom that Jesus offers. Trust him at his word. Believe him when he says that he has a plan for your life. When he calls you to be generous, do it because you believe that God is always true to his word. Now I want to give you a little anecdotal evidence. This is for me. It's my testimony and I've shared it before. But Emily and I, since we've been married, we have all, we've always given. That's the way we were taught. It's what we believe. We've always given uh, over 10% of our income to the church and not to include other ministries that are in the church and also outside of the church. And, and I want to share something with you. Every time we come to the end of the year and we see where we have given, there has, and I'm serious, there's never been one time when I thought I missed that. My life would have been better had I not given. You know why I've never said that? Because God's faithful. God is true. God always provides. You know, it's fun to talk. Uh, you know, we love seeing stories of generosity. You know, when you watch the news and you'll see somebody, how somebody was being really generous, you're like, oh, that's really neat. I like that. But you know what's even better than that? When you do it. When you participate. If we're going to be generous, y'all, generosity involves us practicing it. And so that's why I look into our scripture today. And if I, if I want to start practicing giving, it's going to involve grace. I don't naturally give. It takes the grace of Jesus. It, it takes desire. I need to start to quit desiring what I want and desire what God wants and then trust. Trusting that God is true to his word and that it is a blessing when I'm generous. Okay, so what do we do with all this? Now here's the challenge. And, and just my challenge for, for those of you who are believers. Hey, here's a real simple one. November's coming up. Be generous. Give. Share. And give to the church. Be generous to other ministries. So, well, what, what happens if I do that? Here's what I believe. If you do that and you have the motives, or, Lord, I just want to trust you. 
God's going to bless that. Now, how's he going to bless it? With a new car. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just joking. I, I don't know how he's going to bless you. But he, he, will, he will bless you. There, there's, something, there's something really special about saying, you know what, I'm doing something God's called me to do. And there's joy in that. Now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I believe that. And if you want to discover that, you can't just talk. You do. You do.